You are listening to a Spoken Word Ministries podcast. Our heart is to proclaim the gospel and equip believers for ministry. If you're interested in learning more about our ministry, go to www.swma.ca. You can also find us on Facebook. Now sit back and enjoy this message. So I have the privilege to... uh spend the next few weeks uh, doing a short series with you guys, and so uh, what I want to do, uh, Craig and I talked a little bit about uh, about uh, growth, we talked a little bit about outreach, we talked a little bit about uh, you know what, what's God's vision for His church, and what does He want for us, and uh, our uh, spoken word team gathered together for an amazing day yesterday, <laughs> I thought, okay, we're going to start this day with a little bit of sharing. We'll get everybody to go around, share where they're at, and we will give an hour to do that. So there was 19 of us in the room. We were done by 4.30, right? Yeah. So anyway, um, but but God moved among us, and it was just, it was awesome. We had a great time, and um, we got to share a little bit of where, what our journeys were, and um, where God is leading us. Where we think he's uh, leading us as a group, and and it was exciting. You know, the cool thing is is that the Lord does lead, and He wants to lead. Uh, he wants to take us into good places, so it's going to be fun. Yeah, I want to I want to just walk through a few passages of, of Scripture with you, and I want to share a little bit of my heart for uh, the church. <clears throat> I was a young pastor <coughs> back in the day, and for those of you who don't really know me, I, I was trained. As a Lutheran pastor, and as one of my old uh, old pastor buddies used to say, we weren't really trained in outreach. We were trained to hatch, patch, and dispatch. You guys know what that is? Baptize, marry, and bury. That's pretty much what we were trained to do. Um, but God put a little bit of a touch on my life, and I, I had this yearning for lost people. And I didn't really know how to do outreach. So my first church was out in the bush, west of Stony Plain, Alberta. We had moved more than, more than one morning. I remember preaching one morning, and I got this massive white-tailed buck staring in the window at me from the parking lot. And I'm going, can we take a break in the middle of the sermon? I got my rifle in the car. Anyway, so uh, of course that didn't happen. But uh, it was just this out-of-the-way out place. And... Uh, and so I, I had this burden for uh, what to see people saved, to see people come to know Christ. And uh, so I found myself, you know, I'd be praying and I'd do my prayers every morning. I'd wander around the church. I remember walking to every chair. I'd be laying hands on every chair. Lord, in the name of Jesus, anoint this chair so that whoever sits in it gets touched by your spirit. Um, I would pray over the doors. Um, I remember one old pastor uh, I was talking to one day, I walked into his church, and there he was standing looking at the doors, and he had his hands in his pockets looking sort of glum. And I'm going, what are you looking at the doors for? Like, uh, you know, you bored? He says, no! He says, they got a curse on them! What do you mean they got a curse on them? It's the stupid curse, man! The stupid curse? On the church doors? What do you mean? He says, brilliant men walk in these doors and become immediately stupid. Oh, and sort of what he was saying was, 
And all these brilliant businessmen, business people come walking in the church doors and then they suddenly didn't know what to do with each with themselves. So they really didn't do anything. They just sat in the pews. And it was it, it was he was just getting having a hard time with that. You know. How do you get people motivated? Anyway, <clears throat> I didn't know how to do anything like get people motivated either. And one of the things I've always hated is phonies. So I don't like hype. Um, I like to see when God touches a heart and stimulates that heart. So anyway, so I, I found myself out, out praying. And, and this is one of the things, that, of course, that Jesus did. It's one of the things that the early disciples did. They would pray. And what they were doing was they were seeking that God would move among them. Nothing can happen unless God moves among us. Um, you know, John 6, is one of my favorite verses. It says that nobody comes except the Father draws him. That God, in his love for us, he touches us and he calls us and he makes our hearts soft. And, you know, I think that, that church, one of the first things they had me doing was youth. And I remember one night we had the youth together. We're doing some worship like we just did. And suddenly one of my young ladies burst into tears and started to weep. And being the standard man, you know, there's a woman weeping in my presence. i got to fix that, right? So I pull her aside. Are you okay? Are we going to take you to the hospital? What's going on? It's that song. It's so true. Anyway, she gave her life to Christ. I'm going, how'd that happen? I'm scratching my head. How'd that happen? I didn't really plan that. That just happened. Well, it was the Holy Spirit that was moving among us, eh? Anyway, so I, I found myself as a, as a young pastor, the more I began to see some of this stuff happen. I found my heart hungry for God, and I would be walking up and down the road. There was an old highway past our church, and I would walk that highway about a half an hour that way, and I'd walk the highway back to the church. I'd be going, God, send them to me, send them to me, bring them in, bring them in. Weird things began to happen in our church. I remember one Sunday morning, um, as I was up at the front, and again, you got to remember, I'm a Lutheran pastor, so I got the robes, man. We used to call it the bells, smells, and the holy hardware. Wait, we had it all, you know. So I had white robes on. I looked like a Catholic priest. I'm standing up there and facing the altar at the end of the service, uh, closing things out. And I turn around to bless the congregation, and there's this big native guy standing there, six, six and a half feet tall. And apparently, when I was facing the altar, he just he had been driving past, and suddenly. He said, I just, I just had to turn in here. He comes walking into the church, sees all the people, sees the priest at the front, from his perspective, walks straight up the aisle, and I turn around, and there he is. <laughs> I don't know what to say. What do you say? Uh, what do you want? I made a deal with the devil, and it's come and do. I need help. Have a seat. We'll talk later. <laughs> We finished out our service. Sure enough, this guy had made a deal with the devil. You know what the deal was? He didn't want to work. So what he'd done is he had made a deal with the devil that if the devil would allow him to be a pool shark and he could make his money sharking at that pool, uh, you know, then he could live his life and do whatever he wanted. Anyway, the deal also meant that at age 40, the devil could take his life and take him to hell. <clears throat> well, he's about 39.9. Birthday's coming up next month, and he, he's pretty scared. I said, well, you know, the deal with the devil? Easy to break. Easy to break. How do you break the deal with the devil? Well, you give your life to Christ. The curse, that, uh, the contract you made with the devil, you give that contract to Christ, and he wipes it out by his blood. Curse broken. You think so? Yeah. 
The only question for you is, are you willing to give your life to Christ? You've got to think about that. That means not my life anymore, right? Yeah, well, it already belongs to the devil. So, I mean, the one thing you got, we got to understand, right? When we follow Christ, when we live our lives here, we are going to serve somebody. I don't care who you are. We are going to serve somebody. It just matters. I guess the only thing that really matters is who you choose to serve. So, anyway, this guy, he, he's pretty scared, a little motivated by that fear. He, he says, okay, let's do this thing. So, he gave his life to Christ. We gave the contract he made with the devil to Jesus. And uh, anyway, I saw him a couple of months later. How are you doing? Doing good. Okay. You know, interesting things begin to happen as I begin to seek the Lord. Stuff that I couldn't make happen. And so I think, you know, this is one of the things that I would want to share with you a little bit. You know, when we look at the book of Acts and we look at how the early church started, it actually says that the church grew at a staggering rate and it says, as God added to that church. One of the fastest things in our desire to grow that we can do, and I've done this as a, as a pastor, we can lose our focus on worshiping God and we can put all our focus on trying to get people in. When what we really need to do is be focused on the Lord and say, Lord, you know, we want to be used by you. We want to, uh, we want you to use us to expand the kingdom. And God will do it. Uh, so anyway, he took a young Lutheran pastor who didn't know how to do outreach, you know. And I mean, I had weird experiences. I remember one, one day walking down that, that highway and I'm praying, uh, and the church was in financial situations. Dear Lord, we need, how do, I, how do I say it? We need the money, Lord. We need the money, right? So I'm playing, praying bluntly. God loves when we pray bluntly. So I'm praying, Lord, we need money. And suddenly this old lady pulls up beside me, stands on the brakes, Reels down, rolls down the window. It's got one of them old crank windows. She leaned way over, crank, crank, crank. Um, and she says, Pastor, here's 20 bucks. Rolled up the window and left. And I'm thinking, that's got to be prophetic. Okay. And sure enough, God uh, pulled us through, and I got all kinds of stories wrapped around that. But that old highway was so important. We sought God on that highway. I found myself seeking God on that old highway. Um, I even got to share the gospel with a guy on that highway one time. I remember driving, uh, I was out walking, and one of my parishioners, young, uh, a, a lady from my youth group, picked me up. She wanted to talk to me, so she drove me about half a mile, talked to me in the half mile, dumped me off. You know, you, where do you want to go, Pastor? Just dump me off. I'm, I'm doing my prayer walk. Okay, she stops, dumps me off. Well, there's a guy out in the field on a quad, and he's watching this, and in his head... Poor guy, his wife just kicked him out on the highway. <laughs> so he comes driving over to see what he can do to help. Do you need help? I saw your wife ditch you on the highway. <laughs> well, actually, no. I'm discussing with one of my parishioners and I'm doing a prayer walk and you know, I'm just asking the Lord to pour out a blessing. Oh. Okay, goodbye now. <laughs> and he drives away. Right? Anyway, just so many interesting things, right? So, as I, as I sought God in terms of, Lord, I want to not just see the church grow. And this is one of the challenges for a lot of us pastors. I think it's a lot of a challenge for, for a lot of us that want to see church growth. Is we get so focused on filling pews. 
And I mean, this place got the best pews in town, right? Um, <laughs> but we get so focused on that, we begin to gradually lose our focus on God. Not understanding that God wants to grow his body more than we want to grow his body. So, as I got looking at this, uh, I found myself drawn to the most important thing. And anyone who listens to me, you will hear me uh, crank my way through this verse over and over and over again. Uh, until uh, it's memorized, uh, until everybody around me has memorized it. Um, and so I'd like to share with you what Jesus said is the most important thing. Somebody came to Jesus and said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Your whole Bible hangs on that person. What does Jesus want for you to do? Love him, and then love the people around as you love yourself. Now, you know, there's a little bit of a problem there sometimes because um, anyone here ever struggle with self-hatred? You don't really like yourself? That would be me. Been one of the biggest things in my own life. Uh, and, and it's staggering to me how many people don't like themselves. And honestly speaking, the way some of you people love yourselves, I'm not sure I want to be loved by you the way that you love yourself. You know what I mean? I certainly wouldn't want you loved the way I have loved myself many times over the years. That self-hatred gets in the way, it spills over to other people. How do you love yourself? Well, 1 John 4.19 bluntly says it. It says, we love because he first loved us. You know, I'm always reminded of one of my favorite stories, and if you come to my forgiveness seminary, you'll hear me, hear me tell it over and over again. Uh, you know, in the Bible, uh, the relationship with God is oftentimes described as a marriage. And I remember when my wife and I were young, when she was my pre-wife, right, back in the day, <clears throat> and um, she showed up at church one Sunday. She was an old college mate of mine. I hadn't seen her for years. She showed up at church one Sunday. It was really good to see her, and... Uh, uh, it was, uh, oh, we, we clicked, we hit it off, and we started a date, and the next thing you know, she looked at me one night, I was too gutless to say the words, but she looked at me one night and she said, I think I love you. <laughs> and I froze up. What do you do? What do you say? So I grabbed her and hugged her so I didn't have to look her in the eyes, right? Got myself together. See you later. And I left. <laughs> Apparently she was in love with me because she didn't take offense. You know, uh, next time I phoned her, hi, it's a boy. Yeah, she didn't say, yeah, I remember you. She said, oh, good. You want to go out? Yeah. And things began. One of the things that began, after she told me that she thought she loved me, I went home and I sat there. Uh, uh, I was renting a room in Calgary at the time. I sat there and I began to experience this thing happening to me. And suddenly I had this desire to do weird things. You know, um, I went out right away and I, I walked into a jewelry store and I said to the lady, I need to buy something for a beautiful woman. <laughs> and she sold me a lot of stuff right there. Right? Uh, I walked into a, uh, into a flower shop. I said, I need some weird flowers. She said she liked unique flowers. To me, that translated weird flowers, right? I need weird flowers. The woman looked at me and said, poor man. And she interpreted me well, and she gave me a couple of stems of stargazer lilies. Really good. Then what else did I, I do? Oh, yeah, I started writing poetry. Haven't written poetry before or since. As I stare into your limpid eye pools, 
whatever the heck I wrote anyway. I thought it was awesome, right? And I, I wrote poetry. And, and as I'm sitting there writing poetry at home, my roommates are looking at me going, oh, you got it bad. <laughs> you know, the redneck himself writing poetry. Anyway, what was happening? What was happening was I was in love. What was happening was she had loved me first, and that had triggered a response in me, and I was falling in love back. And so this is really what the scripture talks about. When it says, you love the Lord your, your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, and then love your neighbors yourself. How do we do that? The only way to do that is to be loved by God. Are you ready to be loved by God? You know, I think about a young lady who, uh, she read this passage, um, and then shortly after reading this passage, she got sick, quite sick. She prayed for healing, there was no healing. So she laid in her bed for two months, and in her bed during the two months, this passage came back to her. And she found herself praying, Lord, help me know your love. One day as she was laying in her bed, God's love started to become real to her. And she began to experience the love of God in her life. And she said she spent the next month and a half or so laying in bed every day being loved by God. And she said it was one of the most powerful times of her life. Why didn't God heal her? I tell you why God didn't heal her. God uh, wanted her immobile so that he could love her. Sometimes we get so busy, we don't have time to be loved by God. You know, divorce is pretty bad nowadays. Why is divorce so bad nowadays? I'll tell you, one of the reasons is, is because we get so busy, we forget to love each other. And gradually we get to the point where, when was the last time you experienced love for your spouse? You get what I'm saying? So this loving of God, you know, I think about, uh, let's see here. Oh, shoot, it doesn't work. Why doesn't this work? You just oh. the piano there. I, I just turned it off. Bingo, right there. <laughs> she turned it off. <laughs> that is the right answer. <laughs> she turned it off. No, I can't use the other piano. Another piano. Another piano doesn't work for the illustration. This piano only works when it's plugged into the power source. And this is what the first great commandment is all about. The first great commandment is about being plugged into the power source. One of the first things Jesus said to his disciples when he was standing on the hill being ready to be raised into heaven was he said, don't go anywhere. Luke 24, 24, 49 roughly. He said, don't go anywhere. Me, I'm all gung-ho. I would have said, get out there and win people for the kingdom. Jesus said, don't go anywhere. He said, wait for the promise that the Father will send you. Wait until you're clothed with power from on high. So they gathered together in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, and they waited on God, and God visited them. That connection that they had with God, God poured his presence and his power into them, and it filled them, and it gave them a heart for the lost. It made them unselfish. It, it, it stimulated them to give away what they had been given to give. And so once you're connected with God, that's why Jesus said the first commandment is so important. That connection with God will fill you with the passion of Jesus for other people. It will empower your relationships with your friends, with potential spouses. I'm speaking to you now, right? <laughs> with your real spouse. I'm speaking to you now. You get what I'm saying? It, it will empower the relationships that we have around us. That's the promise of Jesus. And he said, this is the most important thing. If you do not know the love of God, 
you have nothing to give away. You know, Galatians 5 says this. It says that the deeds of the flesh are obvious. Anger, jealousy, rebellion, rage, deceit, uh, divisiveness, all these things. When we find ourselves attacking one another, it says that's proof that we're living in the selfishness of our own strength. But it says those who live in the power of God, those who live connected to the Holy Spirit, those through whom Jesus lives, Jesus' presence in them creates something. The love, the peace, the joy that we can't generate on our own. And that pours through us to other people around us. Makes me sort of look at myself off and on. And when I see the anger building in myself, I know that I've turned back to my old ways. Because I'm an angry man, right? Anyone, anyone here an angry person? I'm an angry person, right? So what, what God has told, taught me, and it, it took a little bit of learning because I don't learn fast. But he taught me that he says, Boyd, when the anger is flaring in your life, it means you're back in your own strength and your own selfishness. You need to stop. You need to say, Lord, I give you myself. Where I am now living in my own strength, I repent. I turn back to you. <clears throat> repent doesn't just mean stop it. It means I turn back to you. So, you know, as we, as we look at this, let's see here. Um, what, what am I doing here? There we go. Let's tell you what I'm doing. I'm start, starting to preach and I'm getting off. Uh, I, I got a couple other passages I want to share with you. So as we think about growth, I want to take you to the final commands of Jesus. Knowing that we have to be connected to him in order to love this world. Then Jesus said this to his disciples. The eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, the mountain where Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. I, mean, I need to say this too. They worshipped him, and in worshipping Jesus, like we have done already even this morning, that worship allows us to turn our focus to him and lets him pour his presence into us. So you think about there's a pipeline between you and heaven. When you turn, the pipeline pours the Spirit of Christ into your heart. That's what happens in worship. And then it says this, but some were doubtful. See, oftentimes when we look at our own lives, we don't think really we can do much for God. We measure things by the way the world measures them. And God says, no, I can do exceedingly in you more than you can hope or think. But we tend to measure God by our way, right? Uh, you know, I was over in uh, Mongolia recently, and I was talking with a lady who had grown up in an abusive family, and her father had been horrifically abusive, and she says, I really struggle to see God the Father as a loving father. And I said, it's because you're measuring God according to the father you grew up with. He is not that way. So when we struggle with doubt, sometimes we have to say, Lord, forgive me, I'm measuring you the way the world measures you. And I'm, I'm, show me yourself. And Jesus, in his faithfulness, he didn't look at him and go, you doubt? I'm out of here. We'll find somebody that believes. He doesn't do that. You know? He presses in on us. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Feel free, guys. So he says, make disciples. What is a disciple? Anyone know what a disciple is? The word disciple is based on the word discipline. 
Um, and the discipline of a disciple is to trust Jesus. I always like to tell a story about Peter. You remember the story where Peter came walking to Jesus, um, or asked Jesus, can I walk to you on the water? Jesus comes out to the boat, they're in a boat, it's storming, and, and, and Peter looks out and says, Jesus, can I come to you? And Jesus says what? He says, yes, come. And Jesus, and Peter steps out onto the water, and he begins to walk to Jesus. What is he doing? He's trusting Jesus. And the power of God through Jesus held him up on that water. Then it says in that in the moment that he got out, he walked a little bit. As long as his focus was on Jesus, he was okay. When his focus shifted, suddenly he starts looking at the waves. He starts measuring all this by the world again, right? I can't do this. What am I doing? You know, the boat's too far away. Ah, I'm going to drown. And he sinks. And what does Jesus do? Well, there goes one disciple. <laughs> Matthew, you're next. Out of the boat, right? <clears throat> That, that is not what Jesus does. I mean, if, if Jesus would have done that, he would have cranked his way through all 12 disciples in about five minutes. Had to start over again. The cool thing about Jesus, Jesus never got rid of a disciple, even Judas. Jesus never started over. Jesus restored these guys. He stepped into their weakness and he lifted them up. So what does he do? He grabs Peter, grab, right? He lifts him up. And he says, why didn't you trust me? He actually says, why didn't you believe? Which means, why didn't you trust me? Keep trusting me, buddy. Let's go back into the boat. We're going to try this again. And, and so if you follow the, the journey of Peter and Jesus, over and over again, Peter gets into situations over his head where he just has to trust Jesus. When we talk about making disciples, what are we doing? We are talking about teaching people just simply, A, the heart of God for them that he loves you, and B, are you ready to trust that one? Well, how do I trust that love? Invite him in. You know, uh, Claude and me, we hang out all the time. And he was, he was saying the, uh, the other, other day, he said, what, what's that statement that you called, uh, that I say all the time? Let's invite Jesus into this. Oh, yeah. Let's invite Jesus. What are we doing when we invite Jesus into this? We're turning our eyes back to Jesus. We're saying, Lord, I need to trust you in this situation. We're inviting Jesus into it. So when we talk about this, what are we doing as the church? What is our call? Our call is this. Can we trust Jesus with that? I hear what you're struggling with in your life. Can we trust Jesus with that? What you are compensating for, can we trust Jesus with that? We're teaching people simply to trust Jesus. That's our calling. And then he says, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, I was doing that down at the river the first few years I was in town here. Uh, that was before I saw the sign that says $10,000 fine for everybody that goes in a river. Uh, anyway, so uh, I, I'm, I should, probably should have had about $80,000 worth of fines. Anyway, uh, but we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we teach them to observe all that I commanded you. And really what Jesus commanded us to do is believe. Somebody came to Jesus one time and they said, Lord, what do we got to do to do the, the things that please God? And he said, just believe. Believe in the one who... Tr who, who uh, um, who the Father has sent. Trust me. That's the big challenge for us. I want to take you to the Mark passage. And he said to them, go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. What is the gospel? Anyone here want to take a stab at what the gospel is? Give me the simplest form of the gospel. What? Good news. Good news. Okay. Good news about what? Life. Living freedom. Living freedom. Yeah. Okay. Anyone else? Two? 
Remember, like describing is sort of like describing a diamond. So you're right on the money, but there's many facets to it. What? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. That's actually the response to the gospel. Okay. Okay? Yeah. Repent and believe. Okay, you heard the gospel. Now repent, turn, and trust. Freedom? Freedom? Yeah? Yeah? Anyone else? God loves you. Eternal life. Yeah. Restoration. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you're, you're all describing the gospel. For me, one of the simplest passages, you remember where they let the guy down through the roof? Uh, Jesus was teaching. The place was packed out. They couldn't get, get this uh, uh, paralytic man in. They cut a hole in the roof. <clears throat> they let him down. And it says, Jesus looked at the man and he said, My son, your sins are forgiven. I decided to try that on somebody one time. <laughs> so I'm sitting listening to somebody give all their struggles. Normally what I try to do is I try to listen to the struggle, try to figure out a solution. Right. That that very that you know, interestingly, that doesn't that approach doesn't work well with my wife. Uh, you know. I got a solution for you. I don't want your solutions, I want you to listen to me. Yeah, but that's no solution. Anyway, you know, us men we tend to be solution oriented, right? Anyway, so I'm listening to this this person um, one time, and I'm going, I don't know what to do about your situation, but I know this. Your sins are forgiven. And they begin to weep. Your sins are forgiven. You know what? All your sins are forgiven here. Whatever you've done, I'm saying to you, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. No, oh, but I've got to repent first. No, you don't. Your sins are forgiven. You know, the interesting thing about Jesus when he hung on the cross, in the moment that he cried out, it is finished. The power of sin, death, and the devil were broken for eternity, and all our sins were forgiven. Now, the person that chooses to believe that, it says they receive the benefit of that forgiveness. But it was poured out for everybody. It's only a matter of receiving it now. Are you ready to receive it? And I've actually had people look at me and say, I don't know if I'm ready for that. <laughs> yeah, you got a lot of self-hatred? Yeah. You like punishing yourself? Yeah. You ready to stop punishing yourself? I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have myself to punish. Mm-hmm. I'm used to it. It's my normal. Yeah, it's going to mess you up a little bit. You might have to get a new life. But you know, your sins are forgiven. You don't have to fix your sins. You just have to look at Jesus and say, Lord, I receive your forgiveness. I trust you. My sins, because I belong to you, now I belong to you. They belong to you too. And he gets to do his work in that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, you know, that's what we get to do. We get to go out and we get to say, your sins are forgiven. You know, my old way was I I need to convince everybody of their sins. You know what I've realized? I've realized a lot of people know that they're sinners. They don't need me to convince them. If you look at the statistics in our society about antidepressants, medication for instance, uh, the amount of antidepressants being prescribed today is crazy. And, and I had a young lady come into my, my church one time and she gave her life to Christ one day and she uh, immediately came off her antidepressants. Uh, anyway, I won't tell the whole story. But I remember asking her, I said, how did you get medicated? She said, grade 12, I was really struggling, abusive home, all that kind of stuff. 
I walked into the mental health facility down the street. I said, I'm really struggling. They immediately wrote me a prescription. Poor old doctors are so overwhelmed with all the society's struggles, they, that's all they can do nowadays, right? But, but that, that way, that approach, it doesn't meet the need. Your sins are forgiven. He loves you. So that's our message that we get to share. And, and it says that Jesus, who commanded this, it says this, He who believes and has been baptized will be saved. He who is disbelieved will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up, pick up serpents. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Will recover. So very dramatic signs. And then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he received them into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. So God confirms this gospel that we share. It's not up to us to convince anybody. I used to think I had to convince people. I don't. What I do now is I, I get to say, your sins are forgiven. And if there's a response, I know God's prepared some heart, somebody's heart. And if there's no response, that heart's not quite ready yet. But I pray that God leads me to those people. And then my goal is to teach them how to trust God in the areas of their life. And, and oftentimes to invite them on my journey so I can pour into them what I know. So that really that's what it comes down to. When we come to disciple, you don't actually have to know how to teach people a lot of stuff. I find, interestingly enough, I used to be really scared of that word discipleship because I, that's what I used to think. What do I teach people? And what God showed me is he says, just take them with you and let them ask their questions. And oftentimes the people that follow you, they will tell you what they need to know. And all you have to do is pour into them and give them opportunity. So, all right. You know, um... <clears throat> One of the things that becomes really important, and I'll close with this. As we talk about sharing the gospel, oftentimes in the church nowadays, uh, we only think about the gospel as, um, you know, help for this life. And I want to say to you that we're not just created for this life. Um, we were created for eternity. I had a brother. He was quadriplegic. And uh, he lived 32 years. And that brother um, died. Uh, I preached his funeral. Um, and, and he was an amazing young man. He was never healed. But one of the things he had was a strong understanding of eternity. And he looked forward to heaven because he said, I know in heaven things are going to be good. Well, the, the day he died... Weird things begin to happen. We begin to get phone calls. That night we got phone calls. People that were out of country. And they said, what happened to Ian? He died. I knew it. And one woman described this. I knew it. I had a dream in the middle of the night. And she said, in the dream I was climbing a set of stairs. And just as I topped the stairs, I saw Ian walking toward me. Walking toward me. My brother was quadriplegic, 32 years he was bent. He did not walk. He weighed 58 pounds when he died. She said, this tall, well-built young man was walking toward me, and it was Ian. And he walked up to me, and he had a huge smile on his face. 
And he looked at me and smiled. And then he took the doorknob next to him and he turned down the hall and he disappeared and I knew that he was off to heaven. This sense of eternity. I had a few people come and give me that, that very same vision or a similar vision. Folks, you know, this world, is this life is not all there is. We have an eternal life that is waiting for us. My dad just died two years ago, and I remember about the day before he died, we had the nurse in, and the nurse looked at him and said, "Are you, you got any fear? Are you struggling? We've got pills, right? And uh, my dad looks at her and he says, I got, I got a Savior named Jesus Christ, and I got no fear. And she turns out she's a Christian too, right? Of course, you're not allowed to say that as a nurse. But she goes, hallelujah. Anyway, so we had a good sharing time. Shortly after the nurse comes in, the doctor comes in. Uh, Chong Wong, I don't know if any of you know him, but he's my doctor in town. He comes in. And just to check, I, I, he told me, when your dad needs help, call me. So I did. He comes in. And he becomes fascinated with my father. And I'm watching this doctor probe away at my dad about his peace because he's seeing a man that is on the edge of death that is not fearful who is anticipatory and it was so different from what he was used to I preached my dad's funeral and I want to share with you a passage the passage comes out of Revelation chapter 20 and 21 <clears throat> it describes heaven and it describes hell then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whom, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things that were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which was in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were, were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write these words, for they are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, immoral persons, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire, which is the second death. So we hear a word that talks about this heaven. 
place where all tears and all sorrow will be wiped away. All pain will be banished, grief, all that stuff. We also hear about an eternal place of eternal separation and torment. Interestingly, the Bible talks about hell as a place not actually designed for people, but designed for the devil and his angels. The devil seeks to take as many people there as he can. You know, uh, the Bible talks about how the devil attacked. There was a great heavenly battle at one point. The devil attacked God. He said, I will become like God. He said, God threw him down. From that moment on, the devil couldn't attack God anymore. So what does the devil do? He attacks the ones God loves. He attacks God's children. What is God's response? God's response is the gospel. And he says, just believe, just trust me, and I will set you free. I walked into a hospital room, St. Paul's, one time. I was doing a little bit of chaplaincy work there. <clears throat> there was a lady laying on her bed. She had cancer all up through her throat. She'd die and she couldn't talk anymore. I stood by her bed and I looked into her eyes and her eyes were big and staring and terrified. You've looked into somebody's eyes that are terrified? They were that way, bug-eyed. And I, I looked at her and I said, are you fearful? And she nodded, she couldn't speak. I said, can I talk to you about Jesus? When I see somebody that's on the edge of death that's fearful like that, I know that they're not ready for heaven. Can I talk to you about Jesus? Her husband jumps up. She says, she's been a Sunday school teacher. She went, we go to the United Church, uh, all that stuff. She, she knows about Jesus. I said, no, yeah. She might know the information about Jesus. The Pharisees knew the information about God. But they didn't have the relationship. Can I share with you about Jesus? She stared at me, stared into my eyes. I said, this is who Jesus is for you. He says he's forgiven your sins. He died to forgive you. He rose from the dead to give you eternal life. Do you believe? I say, now, interestingly enough, John 1.12 says, for those who believe and receive. You know, I remember again back to the story about my wife when she was my pre-wife. I remember looking at her from a distance. I remember my friends told me about her. I had lots of information about her, but I hadn't met her yet. And we can be that way with God. Have a lot of information, but not having met him yet. I said, are you ready to trust him? To receive? I said, pray with me. The husband pipes up. She can't talk as though talking is necessary for prayer. I said, I'll do the praying, you do the nodding. <laughs> we prayed a prayer like this. Dear Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. You're the son of God. You died to forgive my sins. You rose from the dead to give me eternal life. I receive you. I receive your forgiveness. And I say today that you're my God and I worship you. And we finished that prayer. Her eyes were shut as she nodded the, the whole way through the prayer. My eyes were open. I was watching her the whole time. And she opened her eyes at the end of the prayer. And they were totally different. The bug-eyed fear was gone. There was peace. She settled back in her bed, took one look at me, closed her eyes and went to sleep. I said, I'll stop in tomorrow. I came down the hall the next day. The husband saw me from a distance. He jumps out and grabs me. Pastor, come on back in. She slept all night. She hasn't slept in days. She never did wake up again. She died peacefully. 
And I always think about that woman, you know, because she knew about God but didn't know God. And the evidence is the peace. You know, folks, this is the gospel. Your sins are forgiven. It seems so simple. Do you believe Jesus died to forgive your sins, rose from the dead to give you eternal life? Good, let's say yes to him. And you know what? You might not know how to fix people's situations that you run into. I mean, if I looked at every person in this place that is struggling, there's so much complexity in your struggle. I don't know how to fix it all. But I know somebody who is very simple, and his name is Jesus. And if we give him the burden you carry, he says, I will lift the burden. This is the gospel. And this is what we get to share. And there's a world deeply hungry for that. Now, not everybody's ready for it. You know, some of us have conditions. Oh, I, want, I hate myself. I want to punish myself. Whatever. I actually had a woman one time. I said, God wants you to stop asking for forgiveness and receive the forgiveness. Are you ready? She said, I, I don't know if I can do that. Because she figured she had to punish herself. If Jesus won't punish me, I'll punish me. No. Are you ready to receive? I want to lead us in just a word of prayer for those of you who have said yes to Jesus. This might be just a reaffirmation. I mean, to think about the day I got married. It was my wedding day. There have been a lot of days since. Every day since I woke up, met my wife again, said, hello, honey. Re-engaged the relationship. This might be kind of that, that kind of a thing for you. You just re-engage the relationship. If you've never said yes to Jesus, maybe this is the first time for you to say yes and say, Lord, you know, I'm ready for this gospel. Maybe you've tried to say yes to Jesus and you're not sure it quite took. Maybe you tried too hard. You don't have to try. You've got your life here. You just, we're not going to try. We're just going to say, Lord, it's yours. But I would like to leave you in a prayer. So if you'll pray with me, we're going to turn our hearts to God and we're going to trust the gospel. And I'm going to ask you to pray out loud. If you don't want to, you don't have to. But if you want to engage the prayer, I'm going to ask you to pray out loud with me. Pray with me, line by line. Dear Jesus, I come to you as I am. I have heard your gospel. That you love me. That you don't condemn me. That you came specifically to forgive me. And I believe. I believe you're the Son of God. That you died to forgive my sins. That you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. That you came to me to carry my burdens. So I give you my sins. I receive your forgiveness. I receive you into the struggles of my life. <coughs> and I say yes to you. You are my God. And I worship you. In Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. My voice is getting a little croaky. You have said this to Jesus. He has called you, you have responded. So as a called and ordained minister of the Church of Christ, 
I declare to you in this moment the entire forgiveness of all your sins. That you are a child of God. That your name is written in the book of life. That the second death you don't have to fear. And that eternity awaits. Jesus said, while we are in this world, tough things must come. That's what happens in this world. Fear not. I have overcome the world. He will live in you with his strength. And ultimately, we will join him in eternity. Be blessed. Amen. Amen. Thanks for the morning.